Good morning. Welcome to our service of worship here at First Church of New Knoxville. And thank you, Reagan Hirschfeld, for that beautiful prelude this morning. I read a quote yesterday from Rich Mullins, who is a Christian musician, um, famous mostly in the early 90s. He said, excuse me, he said, nobody goes to church because they're perfect. If you've got it all together, you don't need to go. You can go jogging with all the other perfect people on Sunday morning. Every time you go to church, you're confessing again to yourself, to your family, to the people you pass on the way there, to the people who you will greet there, that you don't have it all together and that you need their support. You need their direction. You need their accountability. You need some help. And so if you're feeling that way this morning, if you're one of those people that recognize that you don't have it all together, that you're not perfect and that you need help, we welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ to our worship service this morning. You are in good company because we're all here gathered together for one reason, and that is because we need the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and our Savior and our Redeemer. And so welcome to all who are gathered here today, as well as those that are listening on the radio and watching online. A few announcements before we continue our worship service this morning. First of all, congratulations to Justin and Victoria Bruns on the birth of their daughter, Lillian Sue, who was born on Wednesday, August 3rd. Congratulations to them and their family. There will be a Sunday school teachers meeting on Monday, August 8th at 6 p.m. in the ministry center. And just a reminder as well, next month the first, on Labor Day weekend, September 4th, will be our fall kickoff picnic. We're doing things a little bit different this year. Our worship service that morning will not be here in the sanctuary. We are actually going to be worshiping together outdoors at the New Knoxville Community Park. Our service will be on the radio this morning, so if you're a reg- regular radio listener who is not able to attend, you can still listen in to our service that day. Um, But if you are able to join us, we encourage you to be there on Sunday, September 4th at the New Knoxville Community Park. The service will begin at 1015 a.m. so that we can line that up with our radio broadcast. Um, And there will be a carry-in lunch after the service is over. So we encourage you to bring a dish to share. The church will be providing the main part of that meal. We're doing Arby's roast beef sandwiches. And, uh, And we encourage you to bring something to share as well. There'll be fun activities for the kids, including Nine Square, a bounce house, as well as face painting. And of course, the park playground and new splash pad will be available as well. We're looking forward to celebrating the beginning of the fall, beginning of the Sunday school year with t- together as a church family. Uh, we're also celebrating a few baptisms that day. So if you're interested in baptism and, and that's something you have any questions about, I encourage you to reach out to me and be glad to talk with you about it. Uh, One more announcement as well. You notice the blue jug is still here up front. Um, That is the offering that is collected in the blue jug this morning is going to go to support uh, flooding relief for those that are in southeastern Kentucky um, through the Samaritan's Purse Disaster Aid Fund. So if you're able to give in addition to your offering this morning and would like to give towards that project, that's what the blue jug is for today. That concludes our announcements. I encourage you to look at the rest of the bulletin when you have time to do so. Uh, But at this time in the service, I invite you to stand with me. Oh, yes, you can interrupt me. (laughs) Come on forward, Sam. Sorry for the surprise. Um, If you guys notice in the bulletin, uh, Pastor Joel is finishing his sixth year with us. uh, July 24th, he uh, uh, finished that. And uh, on July 26th, Pastor Tori finished her seventh year with us, and we 
on behalf of First Church, uh, all of us here at First Church, we just want to uh, give you a small token of appreciation and uh, a round of applause. So thank you for your service and leadership. Has it been six years already? Wow. Uh, thank you, Stan. Thank you, church. We, on behalf of Tori and I, we're just so grateful to serve here and, and to minister um, to you and alongside you as we seek to serve the Lord here at First Church in New Knoxville. So thank you very much for that. Now I invite you to stand, if you're able, as we recite our call to worship this morning. It comes from Psalm 119, verses 126 through 136. I invite you to read along with me. Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Turn to me and have mercy on me, as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from human oppression that I may obey your precepts. Make your face shine on your servant and teach me your decrees. Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. We're going to sing two songs at the first part of our service this morning. The first is hymn number 275, How Firm a Foundation. And then we'll also be singing the praise song, Come Behold This Wondrous Mystery. share a word with you real quick. 
how firm a foundation. Who's your foundation? If Jesus is not your foundation, the life, the storms that come at us just knock us over. Just knock us over. I was reading The Wise Men and the Foolish Man. It's at the end of the Beatitudes, so the Word of God was all in there about don't worry, about fear not, the peacemakers, all that. And then he closes off his Sermon on the Mount and he says, or the Beatitudes, and he says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built a house. And he built that house on the rock. The rains came, they came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew, and it beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because its foundation was on Jesus Christ. The storm came to the other one, the foolish man who built his life upon the sands, the things that are not going to hold still, not on Jesus Christ. The same storm came to them also. But what happened? They fell. It went under because his foundation was not on Jesus Christ. Who's your foundation on today? The winds, the storms, they're going to come. They're going to come. But God has provided in such a marvelous way for his son Jesus Christ to come. And if we make him our foundation, the storms of this life will not rock us. So let's come behold the wondrous mystery that God has provided for us.
is our hope, that is our rock, that is our solid foundation, that Christ died and rose again for us and will bring us to be with him when he returns. Amen. As the children come forward for children's chat at this time, I invite you to take a moment and greet your neighbor. everybody. Good morning. Morning. Come over here. Come over here so you can see. We're going to talk about Jesus is the light. How many of you like the dark? You like the dark? Sometimes it can be a little scary, can't it? Huh? Sometimes the light's a little scary. Well, what I'm going to show you is like an experiment. So if it works, it'll be really cool. This clear glass dish is us. It's our person. It's everything we say. It's everything we do. And it's everything we believe. Now, are we perfect? No. What happens? Why aren't we perfect? I'm sorry? We sin. What is sin? You've got that right. It's pretty, like the uh, water in this bottle. What color is that water? Black. Black. Looks kind of gross, doesn't it? Well, kind of like mud. Yeah. Yep. Don't tell my secrets about food coloring. (laughs) Here we go, and look at that. Our pretty selves have what in it? Sin, our clear glass dish. Now you have to kind of get down so the ones in back of you can see. But who is the light of the world? Jesus is. What was his job when God sent him here? What was his job? 
save us from what? Sin. Sin. And that's what he told us. And you listen really close today because the scripture says that Jesus spoke again to the people. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life in heaven. So Jesus came, and what did they do to him? They, they killed him. They did. And what did they put him on? A cross. So our lighted candle is here, and this vase is going to be the cross. Can you all see? Stand up if you can't see. And we, they thought when he died that his light would go out. Did it? Yeah. It didn't go out, did it? Where's all of our sin at? All that black water is where? Jesus took it. Isn't that cool? Huh? Oh, now it's leaking back out again. Nope, now it came back in. But this is just worldly stuff here. And eventually, okay, you can sit down again. Eventually, that candle's going to go out, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't last long. You know, it doesn't last very long. And does Jesus' light ever go out? Never. Except when it's night. Nope, he shines during the night, too. Yeah. Yeah, he is, like, so awesome. And he is so much the reason that we come to church and we worship him and we sing praises to him because he saved us from our sins. Right? And at night you pray about him, yes. So what we need to do is to follow Jesus because if we follow Jesus, will we walk in darkness? No, we will have the light of life in heaven. But we have to follow and believe in Jesus. Let us say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to save us from our sins. We pray also that everyone who is listening is believing in you and will believe in you and know that their sins are being forgiven. And that we will give our lives to you so that we can have eternal light. Jesus, you are the light of the world. In Jesus' name we say, Amen. Amen. Thanks, Carolyn. Thanks, kids. You guys can head back to your seats. It's the time of the service to collect our offering. This morning the offering will go to support the general fund here at First Church in New Knoxville. And again, just a reminder, if you're able to give in addition to that or like to give to the Blue Jug, that is going to be here uh, throughout the service. You can do so um, on your way out. I also want to take this opportunity to just thank uh, uh, Clint Hirschfeld and uh, Danielle. They organize. There's a family from our community that has ties to um, southeastern Kentucky. And so when they heard they were collecting items to bring down to donate, um, they reached out and, and organized uh, the church to be a drop-off point. And it was just great to see many of you, many people from our community donating not just money to the jug to support Samaritan's relief efforts, but also donating those items to go down and, and, and help those families directly. So thank you for Clint, to Clinton and thank you for everyone who donated to that cause as well. Uh, what a great way for us as a church and a community to be the hands and feet of Christ. 
Christ in times of need. So I want to invite our deacons to come forward at this time to collect our offering. And thank you, Barb Howe, for playing the offertory music for us.
Amen. I invite you to pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this time we have to gather here this morning as your people, as your church gathered here in this place. We thank you, Lord, for each person that's here. And and as I remarked earlier, Lord, we come here knowing that we are not perfect. We come here knowing of our need for you. And Lord, we ask that you would meet us here in this place. We know that you are present here because your word says that where two or three are gathered, you are present there with them. And Lord, beyond that, we know that your presence fills all of creation, that you are everywhere present and you are present and meet us, Lord, when we seek you out. Your word says that you promise to be found, yeah, that, that if we seek you with all our heart, we will find you. And so we thank you, Lord, that you are here in this place. And Lord, we also thank you that, that you, are, you are with those that are listening on the radio and watching online, that you are with us as we go from this place. You give us your spirit to those who put their trust in you to guide and direct us, to comfort us in our times of sorrow, to, to give us wisdom and knowledge in our, in our need for discernment, Lord. And it is your spirit that softens our hearts and minds to you and to your word. And so we thank you, Lord God, for meeting us here in this place. And we thank you that although we are not perfect and although we don't deserve your love, you have showered us, you have poured out your love for us in Christ Jesus through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we are eternally grateful, eternally thankful for your love in our lives. We thank you that you redeem us, you make us whole and new once again. And you empower us and equip us to both live for you in this world and also share the good news of the gospel in our own communities and places. So, Lord God, we ask for your grace to go with us this morning. We pray for our nation. We pray for our world, Lord. We know that that in the world there's much to be afraid of. There's much fear, Lord, in this world, but you have come to bring us peace, a peace that passes understanding. And so, Lord, whatever troubles or, or problems come our way, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, help us to put our faith in you and in you alone. And so, Lord, we do pray for our those in authority over us, as your word calls us to do. We pray for uh, our our government at our state level of Ohio this day. We pray for our governor, our state legislature and courts, and those other appointed and elected officials, that you may guide their decision-making, that they may have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness, and that they would be filled. And Lord, we pray for your church this day as well. We pray for your church here in First Church in New Knoxville, but we also pray for, for your church all over this world that are gathering here this gathering this day in all sorts of places and all sorts of nations to worship you may you empower us lord to be the light of the world the salt of the earth in our particular context and we thank you for the great cloud of witnesses the communion of saints that we experience at a, in a local level here 
but that we are part of the body of Christ, which extends through all places and all times. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. The scripture reading for today comes from John 8:12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 3, verses 19 through 21. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Anita. Let's pray together once again. Father God, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you for uh, that it guides us, that it illuminates our path and leads us into all truth. I ask you, Lord God, that you would meet us now again here in this place as we study your word together. Help us to understand it rightly and apply it well to our lives. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd soften our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today and that you give me the words to speak. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. When I was a kid, one of the movies that, that just always fascinated me was Star Wars. I remember we had the, the three-pack box set VHS tapes, right, that had, I think it was Darth Vader on one side and maybe Yoda on the other side. And I remember watching those movies over and over and over again when I was a kid. Now, I know it's pretty much a part of pop culture now, right? And, and we know that in Star Wars, there's this force, right, that just permeates everything in the universe. And there's a light side and a dark side of the force. And in the story of Star Wars is those two forces in opposition to one another. And at times it seems like they are equally matched, right? And they're not, we're not quite sure what the outcome will be. And that there's always this temptation that those who are on the light side will succumb to the dark side of the force. And that theme of light versus dark is a theme that permeates not just Star Wars, but all sorts of uh, movies and literature and philosophies in our world, that there's two equal and opposite forces at work. And we have to decide which one we are going to follow. Well, you see, the theme of light and darkness isn't just from Star Wars, but you see it throughout Scripture as well. Right from the very beginning, and when God created the world in Genesis 1, we see light and darkness set in opposition to one another. Right? How does Genesis 1-1 begin, right? And when, in the beginning when God created the earth, it was, it was formless and void and dark. Right? And then what is the first act of creation God does in that world? He says, let there be. 
And so from the very beginning of Scripture, right, we see light and darkness kind of set in opposition to one another. And we see that theme continue throughout Scripture as well. Darkness, you see, is, is often just physical darkness in Scripture, but more often than not, it is used to describe evil and sin in the way of the world. It's associated with, with the enemy, with his power and his dominion. That's why we have passages from the New Testament like Colossians 1, 12 and 13, which talks about how that, that the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Or you have Paul in Acts 26 recounting his own encounter with Christ on the Damascus Road and, and the commission that God gave him to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And, and, and the Lord Jesus speaking to Paul, as Paul recounts it in Acts 26, says, He has sent Paul to them to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You see those dark, the ideas of darkness and light in opposition to one another, darkness being the realm of sin and evil and the enemy's influence and light, of course, referring to the kingdom of God. See, light is often associated with purity and, and specifically with God's glory and his majesty. When God shows up on the scene, when one of his messengers, the angels, shows up on the scene, it's always a bright light that accompanies them. That light was so, was so bright that when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the law, uh, he came back down and his face was literally glowing with the glory and majesty of God. So much so that it kind of frightened the people and they asked Moses to put a veil over his face. Light is associated with God's presence and his salvation. We heard last week in, from John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, when we spoke about Jesus being our life, we saw that life and light were interconnected. It said, in him, speaking of the word, Jesus, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. But it wasn't just the New Testament that was associating light with Jesus and his salvation. We see all the way back in Isaiah chapter 49, Isaiah speaking of the servant of the Lord. And the Lord speaking through Isaiah says in Isaiah 49, 6, Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept? I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation will reach the ends of the earth. You see, the servant of the Lord in Isaiah is the Messiah, the Christ, the one who was sent to rescue and redeem God's people, who we know to be Jesus of Nazareth. That servant of the Lord is called to be a light to the Gentiles. In other words, a light to the nations, a light to the world. And his purpose was to bring God's, bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. And so we have darkness on the one hand, representing the dominion of the enemy, of sin, of death, of shame, of evil in this world. 
And then you have the light of the world, God's light shining in that darkness to bring his salvation, to, to represent his glory and his majesty in his presence. Darkness and light are set in opposition to one another, but they are not equals. I mentioned in Star Wars, right, there's this dualistic point of view that light and darkness are, are equal in power and in opposition, and their outcome of who it will win in the end is uncertain. But Scripture is very clear that, that our faith is not a dualistic faith. Light and darkness is not, are not two equal forces in opposition to one another. Light will always overcome the darkness. Again, John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome that. Right, think about light in the, real, in, a, in, a physical, in the physical world, right? Light and darkness. Darkness cannot extinguish the light, right? Darkness, from a scientific point of view, is literally nothing, right? It's the absence of light. And so darkness cannot overcome it at all. One tiny candle, one insignificant flame can light up the darkest of rooms because light will always overcome the darkness. And so we see in John eight twelve that Anita read for us, right? Jesus claims to be the light of the world. And he says, those who follow me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Walk, the idea of walking with the Lord or walking through life is a common metaphor in scripture for how one lives, how one carries themselves, their conduct and their character. And so he says that those who follow, Jesus says those that follow him will never walk in darkness. To walk in darkness is, is for a person to be committed to a life of sin, to reject Jesus as Savior and Lord. But the consistent call of Scripture is to walk in light, not in darkness. I want to turn for a moment to the letter of 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but the letter of John later in the New Testament, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And he picks up on this theme of walking in the Lord. He says, This is the message that you have heard from him and declared, that we have heard from him and declared to you God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. See, we're called to walk in the light, which means to walk with the Lord. It says God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. Remember, light overcomes the darkness. We cannot claim to know God and, and yet continue to live in darkness. We're just fooling ourselves. Instead, we're called to walk in light, which means having fellowship with God, having a relationship with God and with, our, and with brothers and sisters in Christ as well. And so we're called to walk in the light. But, but to be honest, right, Satan would love nothing more. The enemy would love nothing more than to keep us in the darkness, to keep us blind and fooled. And, and so Satan longs to do that. And he has tools that he uses to keep us in the dark. And the first is, is our own ignorance and blindness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, The God of this age, and there Paul is referring to the enemy, to Satan, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers 
so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, sometimes people can't see the light because they are ignorant and blind. They, they've been, the blindfold has been placed over their eyes and they're unable to see the truth. Have any of you ever been in a room that was just complete pitch black darkness? I mean, like, can't see your own hand in front of your face? It's disorienting, right? And even if you know there are things around you, you're unable to see them because there is no light source and no way to see. That's what scripture says it's like for unbelievers, right? They are unable to see the truth, even if it's right in front of their faces, because the enemy has blinded their eyes and they live in ignorance. They're unable to see the truth. And again, we can go to the garden to see how Satan uses those tools in our lives. Right? When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they had one command to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan, in the form of a serpent, comes along and, and immediately questions God's word and God's motivation. He said, did God really say those things? Even if he said them, you, you certainly won't die. You can't trust God. Right? Satan is the father of lies. He twists and manipulates the truth and gets us to doubt the truth of God's word. Not only does he get us to, to question the truth of God's word, but he also disguises himself as an angel of light. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, it says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Now think about that for a second. Right? That means that, that sometimes we live in the darkness even though we think we are living in the light. Right? Satan has so fooled many people that they feel like they think they're doing the right thing. They think they're living the way they should yet they remain in the darkness because they've been fooled. Satan also uses distractions and worldly pleasures to keep us from the light. We don't make time, we don't have time for the truth. Right? How many of you feel too busy to add one more thing to your plate? You're too busy to take time to read your Bible in the morning, to attend church on Sundays or be part of a, a small group because we're just too busy for those things. Busyness can be a spiritual problem. By nature, by sinful nature, we are self-centered. We are selfish creatures. And we easily succumb to temptation. And those things can keep us away from the light. Another one of Satan's tools is pride. Again, think of John three, seventeen through 19 that Anita read for us, right? That those who live in the darkness hate the light because they don't want their deeds to be exposed. There's a, a pride at work. There's people that are fully aware of their sinfulness, that they are not living according to God's plan, but yet they want to remain in the darkness because they'll fear that their deeds will be exposed. Pride keeps people from living in the light. Satan has many tools at his disposal to keep people from the light, but remember, his attempts are ultimately futile against the power of Jesus Christ. The darkness cannot overcome the light. The light will always conquer the dark. And so at the time we have left, I want to talk about four ways that Jesus shines his light in our lives in order to overcome the darkness. The first thing that Christ's light does in our lives is it exposes sin. It reveals what is hidden. 
When I was a teenager, I went on a mission trip to Mexico. We were in the small village on the, on the coast of the Gulf of California called Puerto de la Libertad. And we're staying in these apartments that were owned by the missions organization. And well, one of the problems with these apartments and in this village was there were a lot of cockroaches. Now, cockroaches love the darkness, right? And so there was this one adult leader. It was, it was a, she was a female, so she was with the, the girls. And uh, we kept hearing that she had gotten no sleep at all throughout the week because she was staying awake at night with a flashlight looking for the cockroaches, right? And, and she'd shine the light and they'd scatter in that corner of the room and she'd shine the light over there and they would scatter, right? And so she was too afraid to go to sleep because she was fully aware of what was hiding in the dark. But that flashlight exposed what was hidden. In the same way, when Christ's light shines in our lives, it is a cure to our spiritual blindness and we are fully aware of our sin. You see, to experience God's salvation, the light of his life in our own lives, we need to be aware and come to grips with the sin that infects us. We are all sinners in need of a Savior, and we need to be able to call sin what it is, to acknowledge it for what it is, so that we can turn from it and turn towards Christ. The more we see God's beauty and majesty, the more his light shines in our lives, the more we become aware of our own sin, the more we realize our need for God's grace and mercy. So the light of Christ exposes sin, but the light of Christ also eradicates sin. And that is accomplished through the cross and resurrection. Jesus' light shined brightest as he hung on that cross, as he died for you and for me in place, in our place, and rose again from the dead. In doing so, he conquered sin and death. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who, are, who all their lives were being held in slavery by their fear of death. Christ's light, his death, his resurrection, conquers sin and sets us free. Third, the light of Christ edifies the believer. So, so Jesus exposes sin in our lives. He eradicates that sin in our lives through his death and his resurrection. And once we experience that salvation, he now, the light of Christ shines in our lives to edify us so that we may live more like Jesus. You see, it's a, see the walk, our walk with Christ is not about, just about our salvation. It's also about our sanctification. It's about walking with the Lord in the light. So I pass it in, in, in the way that we can grow in our faith, grow in our knowledge of the Lord, walk in the light is through the presence of his Holy Spirit in our lives and through his word. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. So finally, the light of Christ exposes sin. The light of Christ eradicates sin. The light of Christ edifies the believer. And the last thing is the light of Christ evangelizes the world through the believer. See, when Christ shines his light in our lives, it's not meant to stop with us. It doesn't end with us. We're called, we are also called to be the light of the world. In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount that Sharon referenced earlier, right, we're called to be the light of the world. Jesus says that you are the light of the world. 
Now, how can Jesus be the light of the world and how can we be the light of the world at the same time? Well, the reason is because we are simply reflecting the light that Jesus has already shined in our lives. See, we are not lights in and of ourselves. It's not our light that we're called to shine. We're called to reflect the light of Christ in us so that others may see it. And in Matthew 5, it says, Others may see our good deeds and glorify our Father who was in heaven. And so through our words and our actions, we walk in the light and in doing so, point people to Jesus. The light of Christ doesn't just shine in us for us. It shines in us for us so that we may also share that light with everyone we meet. Jesus is the light of the world, and we are called to shine his light as well. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to shine your light in this world. I ask, Lord God, that you would, that you would help us to, to see our sin, to turn away from it and turn towards you. And in doing so, that we would walk in the light as you are in the light. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we prepare our hearts for communion this morning. We're going to sing another worship song. I invite you to stand with us as we sing Waymaker. Thank you. 
Let's pray together as we set our hearts on communion this morning. Father God, we ask that you would shine your light into our lives now. Lord, as we take these elements to our comfort this morning, we ask that you would help us to see our sin. Help us to see the ways that we've fallen short. Because your word says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so, Lord, we come before you humbly and, and acknowledge our sin to you. Acknowledge our need for you. We have said things and thought things and done things that are not pleasing to you. And we've left things undone we know we ought to have done. And so for those things, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. Your word says that, you are, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so we thank you and praise you for that good promise. Lord, as we take these elements to our comfort this morning, we are reminded of, of our need for you, but also of your love for us and your provision for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died and rose again to make all of this possible and that we, we trust and believe that our salvation is found in you and in you alone. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, I've received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and having broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All you who have received Jesus as your Lord and Messiah, we invite you to take the sacrament to your comfort. We will serve at the altar again this morning. As usual, we invite you to come down, uh, come down front if you're able. If you're not able to come down or are unable to do so for any reason, we invite you to remain in your pews and there will be a pair of elders coming to serve you as well.
pray together. Father God, we thank you that we get a chance to share in the body and blood of Christ, that through his death and resurrection, we are united with him. Our sins have been put to death and we've received grace and forgiveness in return. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have done this for us. And we thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit to live with us. And I pray that you would guide us today and every day to live for you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. And the may grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You may go in peace.